Welcome to the Practical Research Parenting Podcast. Here's your host, Nicole Weeks. She's been studying how people tick since 2003. Welcome to a very special seventh episode of Practical Research Parenting Podcast. So I'm very excited today to introduce my very first interviewee. Associate Professor Sarah Blunden has been researching, treating and lecturing on children's sleep for more than 10 years. She is the Head of Paediatric Sleep Research and Senior Research Fellow at the Appleton Institute, which has its very own sleep lab and is located at CQ University in Adelaide, Australia. Sarah is also the founder and the director of the Australian Centre for Education in Sleep and Research and the Paediatric Sleep Clinic. Associate Professor Blunden is the primary author of The Sensible Sleep Solution and Boss of My Sleep book. I'll include links to all of those institutions and books in my show notes at www.practicalresearchparenting.com forward slash sleep solutions. That's www.practicalresearchparenting.com forward slash sleep solution or one word. This is the first of a three-part interview with Associate Professor Sarah Blunden. In this first one, we discuss Sarah's research and practice career with a particular focus on a gradual sleep solution that she developed. The second episode focuses on Associate Professor Blunden's first book, The Sensible Sleep Solution, and we discuss sleep approaches for zero to one-year-olds, as in the book, and alterations for one to three-year-olds. The third and final episode in the series focuses on Sarah's book for three to eight-year-olds, The Boss of My Sleep Book. Okay, so let's get straight into the interview. Hi, Nicole. Hello, Sarah. Thank you for joining us. Pleasure, pleasure. Okay, so I actually found out about you and your book via your academic research into the gradual withdrawal method. Um, So first of all, can you take us through um, sort of how you came to study sleep and a bit about your research journey? Sure. Um, I came to university in psychology as a late starter. I had another career before this one. Right. And and, uh, I needed to get another job. Uh, So I went to university and studied psychology because I loved it. Yep. And I wanted to work with children. So when I got the opportunity to do honours, I was um, I asked to do work with children. And the available project was a project on sleep in children and how sleep disordered breathing, that is snoring and sleep apnea, right. affects the development um, and well-being of young children. So I got interested in sleep that way and finished up doing honours, masters and a PhD in that, in that field. Wow. At the end of that journey, I realized, and as part of my PhD, I understood that it wasn't just sleep disordered breathing, snoring and sleep apnea that are yeah. problematic in children and how it affects their well-being and their development, but also behavioral sleep disorders, that is non-respiratory, non-physiological sleep disorders, that yeah. is behavioral, if you like. Children that just don't sleep well enough or don't sleep long enough, they are indeed more more prevalent and yep. more detrimental to children's development. So I turned the corner and went into that field. That's yeah. where I ended up doing sleep and working with behavioural sleep problems such as I'm doing now. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's definitely a very important area. Talk to indeed. any mum and that'll come up. Yes, indeed. Yeah. 40%, 40% of, of young babies of young babies and young children have sleep behavioural sleep problems. Yeah, right. Yeah, wow. Yeah, it's definitely a very important area. Mm. Um, so can you share with us a bit more about your research into specifically the gradual withdrawal method? Sure. In, in my 
given that when I finished my PhD, I opened up my sleep, my paediatric sleep clinic, as well yeah. as continuing in my research area. And the paediatric sleep clinic has always been part of my life two or three days a week ever since I've been working in academia. Right. When I was in that area, I realised that there was no, um, not enough research into the fact that when a child doesn't sleep through the night, and let's face it, that's a difficult thing for any child to do. Yeah. And, in fact, it's not possible for a child to sleep through the night without signalling to the parent, particularly when they're young. Mm. But the standard ways of dealing with that tended to be what we call extinction techniques in psychology, yes. that is, ignoring techniques. And in various forms or various frequencies, it was necessary. If you wanted your child to not wake up and, and wake up parents, you had mm. to ignore the child. I was unhappy with that and didn't feel that that was, that was the only possible way of doing it. So I developed a slow method of, yes, withdrawing parental assistance overnight, mm. but rather than ignoring, my method is a teaching method. So even right. from a very young age, we can teach young children to expect a different behaviour just by changing the behaviour that we do. And therefore a child, because they learn so brilliantly when they're young, yeah. all the time, I guess, but they can observe and they can watch and they learn from the behaviours that are done to them. And if we change a behaviour, then they will get dependent on the new behaviour. Yeah. So that way we can gradually withdraw our intensive interaction with them, which is often making them dependent on us to put them back to sleep. Okay, so it's sort of working on similar principles in terms of you're changing the sort of behaviour they can expect when they call out, but it's much gentler and you're responding Absolutely. when they're distressed. Absolutely. It's, um, it's I guess, all behavioural management techniques because this is a behavioural management technique yeah. after all. Sleep behaviour is behaviour in its purest form. Mm. But all, and all behaviour change um, happens through um, behaviour theory. Right. So we know that uh, a child will... Um, a, a, a child will do something, a parent will do something in response, and very quickly that child learns that behavioural response, and that's yeah. behaviour theory. So taking that theory in its purest form, we say, well, when we respond to the child, we respond with a cue-based responsive method right. that does not ignore but teaches because I don't believe that ignoring one is necessary and two is effective. Yeah, right. Okay, so if you were teaching parents who initially were rocking rocking their baby whenever they called out, you'd choose a, a, a different method which was a bit less hands-on? That's right. So we try and work out what is it that the baby needs and we do that all the time. So that might be um, a loving response, it might be, yep. and that can be just verbal. Yep. It might be a feed, it might be a nappy change, it might be uh, a dummy. It might be something that the child can't do themselves at this point. Yep depending on the age and the development of the child. But what can they do without? Now, maybe what we can say, maybe the child doesn't need to be rocked to sleep. Yep. Maybe they need to be picked up and rocked a little bit, but they're not rocked to sleep. Okay, yeah. So it's a, it's, a, it's a way of going to the child and responding to them so that the child thinks that they're going to get the same response and therefore they don't get distressed. They kind of mm. wait for the end point to be there. When the end point is not given, that is something to sleep. Yep then the child might get antsy at that, but that's to be expected yep. because it's a baby or a child and they don't understand the system. Yeah. And because we can't tell them the system, we just have to show them love in a different way 
And therefore, they will eventually get used to that. They may not like it initially because I'll get a bit antsy because I don't understand why they're not getting yeah. to sleep. And in addition to that, physiologically and emotionally, the child hasn't got used to doing it themselves. Yeah. So it's a readjustment for the child. And essentially what a parent will be doing is um, with their attention saying, I love you, my darling, but I can't rock you to sleep anymore. I will rock you until you're very, very happy and dozy, and then I'll try yeah. and continue to pat you while you're in the cot. Yeah. And then if from there the child gets um, really distressed at this new approach, um, what's your what's your backup plan? We essentially I give the uh, I hope to give the power back to parents. I think that what we've yeah. done um, over time is take away maternal instinct. Yeah. Um, by expertising or professionalising, if you like, motherhood. Yes. We respond to a child, and I think that mothers do that much better than they think they do. Yeah. And yep. so if a baby is crying in their cot, most mothers and fathers, but I, I talk of mothers because they are yeah. most still the most the, the primary caregiver, most mothers will want to pick up their child, and the reason that they don't is because that they're told not to. Yes. And yes. so I say yeah. to a parent, if you want to pick up your child, you pick up your child, you calm them, but now you must not rock them to sleep in your arms anymore because you've decided not to do that and you don't need to do it. You've decided that yeah. that's not a necessity. So now you calm your child and the picking up and rocking is a calming technique rather than a settling technique. Yeah. So we calm and then yeah. we start the whole process again. And, yes, the child will get antsy. And in, yes, in fact, even the child might think, oh, great, I'm in mum's arms. This is terrific. This is exactly where I wanted to be. Yeah. Given, given that the child actually doesn't think that way and they don't manipulate the situation no. in any way, shape or form, but behaviourally they're happy to be in mum's arms. Yeah. So when mum puts the baby back in the, in, the, in the sleep space, the child will go, no, no, that's not what I want. Yeah. And so it's by continual behaviour, caring, gentle behaviour, but persistent behaviour nonetheless that will realign the child's behaviour pattern so that they then understand, oh, I see, I get it now, I go back in the cot. Yeah. Okay. And that's, that's learning behaviour through behaviour patterns that are repeated in a gentle way. We yeah. know that if the baby is not responded to, they will get distressed. We know that when people are stressed, and babies most particularly, they don't learn anyway yeah. and they're not going to be able to be calm to get back to sleep. So by doing it this way, the baby is calm enough to learn the new system and it happens faster. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's wonderful. And you're, yeah, allowing for the maternal instinct, I think, is is really, really good. Um, mm. Yeah, as opposed to reg regimenting it. That's right. Yeah, and, um, telling a parent that they can't do one thing or another, um, I think, is really difficult. It's really difficult. Yeah, yeah. I've certainly, yeah, I, when I've tried to parent by doing what feels right. It certainly felt a lot better than trying to pat a screaming baby who it, it, obviously wants something absolutely. else. Yeah, and, and having said that, it's it is difficult that some uh, some caregivers, some parents, mums and dads, are really struggling, mm. and in which case sometimes there is somebody that might have to come in and help them to do something that other than other than what they're doing, which isn't working. Yeah, but generally, in the general sense, then I think that. Um, a, a, a middle-of-the-road approach. I know that I need, I want to pick you up and, and love you and calm you, but I yeah. know also that I don't want to rock you to sleep, even though that I know that works. Yeah. So I, I have to find, as a mum, I have to find a way down that middle path to say, I can let you cry a little bit because I know that I'm right here. And the crying that's ensuing right now is a protest cry. 
yeah. in, its, in its form, purest form because everything else is the same. I've done everything to you that I always do except for rock you to sleep in my arms. Mm. So I know what the protest cries about. It's I don't understand. I can't do it. I need your help. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So you don't say as soon as your baby cries, pick them up. No. Um, that's left to the mother's instinct when you feel like you have to pick that's your child right. up, then pick them yeah. up. But otherwise, crying's okay. That's right. And that also yeah. depends on the age, of course. Yes. Um, Normally, under six months is very tricky to do any limit setting on um, mm. children's sleep because babies are so dependent at that age. Yeah. Um, nonetheless, um, everything's everything's relative, really. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and they grow so gradually. So we yeah, often use the six month mark as a as a a turn point, but. Yes, yeah. so it's, it's almost an unwritten rule in most people that deliver sleep interventions in young children, behavioural sleep interventions. Yeah. Six months is the, is the time that, you know, that, we, that we can start considering that. And that's pretty young. Yeah. That's the time. And that's, that's a general rule, certainly in academia. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, so a bit more about the studies that you did into this. Um, what sort of outcomes were you looking for? Um, I wanted to see whether, well, the problem is when a baby can't sleep through the can't sleep for long periods of time and mm. they will wake up at each sleep cycle and a signal from mum or dad yep. then they will cry and parent will go to attend mm. so it is um the crying that wakes mum and dad yep therefore it is and and then it's the difficulty or not of how long it takes to get the child back to sleep mm. so how many times does a child wake up how long are those wake ups for individually yeah. or cumulatively, and how many times a week does this happen? They are generally the type of sleep problem that is categorised as a problem, and, yeah. of course, the more there are, the greater the problem. Yes. And also there's an additional problem at the beginning of the night of how long does it take to settle your child. So, And they are all the same thing. If your child is tricky and needs a lot of interaction to get to sleep, parents mm. will do a lot of stuff to yeah. get to sleep. So those four things are what we actually measure as to find out whether that's better. In a lot of other studies, you measure parental satisfaction, you measure um, parental mood, confidence, um, and that, that type, of, type of thing as well. In, in the studies yeah. that I did for, the, for this particular method, yeah. I measured those four sleep outcomes, so duration and frequency of night wakings, number of times per week and number, number of minutes it takes to get them to sleep. Yep. Then I measured, measured parents' uh, satisfaction with the method, satisfaction with the clinic, and uh, if anything else in the house um, in the household changed. Yeah, right. And those outcomes uh, in our pre and post study yep. uh, showed that all of the f sleep outcomes were significantly different. That means that they were more than you'd expect by chance. Yeah, I saw that, and yeah. Parents were uh, more satisfied with this technique than having done controlled crying or cried out methods, which are traditional ignoring extinction yeah. methods that are very common out there in the um, in the community. Um, and they had most, in fact, all of them, I believe, had tried a controlled crying type of uh, intervention and were unable to continue. Yeah, right. Yeah. And in fact, another couple of studies that I've done recently, mm. I've interviewed parents um, to find out what they do when they want to intervene with a sleep intervention yep. and offered them the choices of a scenario that was essentially a cried-out scenario or a controlled crying scenario yeah. or a responsive scenario and asked them which one they would do, which one they would like to do, which one they wouldn't like to do. Yeah. 
in the first study, 63%, sorry, 70% of parents said that they didn't want to do control crying yep. or if they did, they would start it and stop. Yep. And in the second study, which was a much greater study done by one of my PhD students, Hayley Etherton, right. was um, 63%. So it's very consistent that the yeah. vast majority of parents do not want to do control crying. Yeah. 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 That fits. It, it goes against your instinct. It does. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And it's very interesting that the narrative in the vast majority of the community, um, those that deliver sleep interventions, those that publish about the sleep interventions, mm. um, and the medical practitioners largely who deliver the interventions, yep. um, is the narrative is control crime. Yes. And I believe it's probably because it's some very much simpler to do. Yes, possibly. Yeah, it, it does also have a fair bit of like it's been researched a lot and goes way back in terms Absolutely. of... That's absolutely true. Yeah. Um, yeah. In fact, uh, the two of the recent literature reviews on all the sleep interventions that have been published in the last 20 or so years, mm. I think, and I might have the number wrong, but somewhere about 56 papers, uh, studies have been published in this area. Yep. And of them, about 49 of those are based on controlled crying or cried out. Wow. Yeah. So they are vastly skewing the data in, in the literature. Yeah. They are... Um, much more published than the other types of um, sleep interventions. And so I guess if um, a medical doctor or somebody who doesn't know how to deliver a sleep intervention or someone who wants to go looking will mm. find overwhelmingly controlled crying and yep. therefore I expect that they would just do that because that's the most, the most researched and that would be a logical thing to do. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I think it's really important this shift towards having alternatives. Absolutely. Um, because as you say, parents don't want to do controlled crying. Um, yeah, and it's good to have other options out there. Cause it's, I think so. I yeah. Absolutely. I believe so. Yeah, and you've certainly done a lot of research into how detrimental it can be to just leave the sleep problems be if you don't want to do controlled crying. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I, I believe passionately that, uh, that choice is a, is a very important thing for mm. parents. And I'm just very surprised that the, narr- that the, yeah, the conversations are still the same, that yeah. they were that they were 30, 40 years ago. Yeah, that's right. I, mm. I think the boat's turning. I hope it's turning slowly. I hope it's turning too. <laughs> yeah. I think it's turning too. Yeah. Okay, so let's um, get on to your first book. Oh, actually, first in those studies, um, did it work for everyone? Yes, it did. Yeah. Everybody wow. That study. Now, that's the, the, the two studies that I have published yep. um, are people that were in my clinic. So it's a clinical sample. Yep. Therefore, these people came to me for that reason. Yep. Um, they had tried controlled crying before and stopped. So the odds were stacked for them to succeed. Yes. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah, so, I do because they were definitely of, ready to do something right. about it. In yeah. terms of scientific rigour, that's not the best type of study. It, no. you know, it, sh- it certainly yeah. shows that the process is, is effective and I know that it has because I've been doing it for 10 years. Yeah. Um, and I get um, feedback all the time about how effective it is because I know that it is effective. Yeah. Um, the question is, is it as effective as the other ones? Well, I'm in the process now of running a study to compare what I call this method. This is, um, I'm calling it the sensible sleep solution, but yeah. more broadly the CUBS solution, the Q-based sleep solution. Okay. Um, so the CUBS method compared to control crying, compared to nothing at all, compared to a control group. Fantastic. I'd love to that, hear the results of that. Yes. And um, so that's a, a very huge study to get up and we're searching around for money and participants to do yeah. that as we speak. Um, to try and answer the question, even if you didn't come to me or come to someone for an, uh, a Q-based solution, 
Yeah. Is it as good as a controlled crying solution? Because whether or not people like controlled crying, it is effective in the vast majority of children. In 60% of children, it's effective. Yes. It's not, interestingly, but 60% it is. Yes, that's right, yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, I'll be very interested to hear those results and maybe we'll get you back on to hear about those later. Great. I'll put links to um, both of them on the show notes. Can you just tell us um, an audio version as well, where where people can go to find your books? Absolutely. Um, My website that um, has all my resources, all my contacts to the Pediatric Sleep Clinic and all my books, uh, educational resources, academic papers and books is www.sleepeducation.net.au. That's sleep education, one word. Um, On there you'll find the links to both books, um, but individually there are www.sensiblesleepsolution.com.au. Yep. And the boss for my sleep book is on a toddler-specific website called snoozeforkids.com. I'll include all those links in the show notes. Again, that's at www.practicalresearchparenting.com forward slash sleep solution, or one word. Please consider leaving a review on iTunes, that would really help. And tune in next week for the second in the three-part series talking with Sarah Blunden about sleep for zero to three-year-olds. Thank you. Bye.